This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Welcome to the show that's brought to you with Levi Solicitors. That 10% discount can be yours on your legal fees at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Dan, Michael, and Moscow White with you here on the weekly show. If you want to get behind us, back what we do at the Square Ball, have a look at TSB Plus, access to every digital copy of the mag we've ever done since 2009. All these podcasts ad-free. You get priority access to the match ball after the game. Daily email from Moscow. Uh, the exclusive subscriber-only podcast, The Extra Ball. Discounts on merch. Loads of stuff at thesquareball.net forward slash plus. Still the international break, then we're coming out of the other side of it almost. It turns out it's Rafinha's world and we're all just living in it, aren't we, Michael? Looks that way, yes. I mean, I don't know why they've only let him play little bits because clearly he's the best player in the world. I don't know why he's not, not the first name on the team sheet already. Uh, Moscow, a couple of weeks back, we were chatting about the idea that he wasn't quite at Champions League, sort of very, very elite level. Anything happened in this international break to make you think otherwise? Because he's, he's proved it on a, on a biggest stage. It's better than Neymar. That much is true. I watched the second half of the game against Colombia when Neymar was worse than Varney. That, well, that, t- that, that touch. There was the just touch, in general. There? Yeah, I mean, there was... So Rafinha's best bit of skill is when he puts the... Um, the He'd been cutting inside that left back ever since coming on with half an hour to go and then and kind of measuring him up and watching him going, which way am I going to go and then going inside. And then this time, the ball came to him and he just kicked it straight down the outside and chased it and then went back inside turned him around, put him on the floor, got the byline, pull back, Neymar, and it just... I don't know what the point is of, of Neymar, supposedly the best, one of the best players in the world, and he can't trap a football. It's kicked at him quite hard. They do that at Leeds, though. It seems to be part of what they do, doesn't it? Yeah, and it, but it's not difficult. It shouldn't be difficult for a, a player of Neymar's alleged skill, talent, level, ability, to see a ball coming towards him and go, I'm going to control that football. Said it just bounces off him. And he did um before 
Rafinha had even come on. There was a pass to Neymar on the left touchline and he just rolled under his boot for a throw-in. It was Varney-level nonsense. Rafinha, though, absolutely brilliant. I think the only thing you've got to keep in mind is the level of his opponent. So that left-back that he was spinning round and round plays for Elche in uh, Segunda. So it's a second-division Spanish left-back. He was um, teammates at Girona. He was left side with Samu Saiz. Um, he was the left-back. Saiz was the left-winger in their failed promotion attempt. He did then have a loan. He started the season at Atalanta, so he played a Champions League game for Atalanta, but it was the 5-0 defeat to Liverpool. So there's kind of, it's international level and it's World Cup qualifying and, you know, he's on the world stage, but he is probably playing against some easier opponents. Like the centre-half for Colombia is uh, Yerry Mina, who we saw against Everton. So it's not like he's gone upper level. You know, he's play, he's probably playing against a worse defence than he was against um, Everton. So rubbish still. <laughs> Nobody needs to sign him. Nobody needs to buy him. That I've, did seem to be the initial reaction to it because I didn't watch the game, but I, I woke up and the next morning looked on Twitter and basically people were going, well, that's him gone, was the, was the instant reaction. So, well, people have seen now, as if people don't watch the Premier League every single week and mm. see him doing these similar sorts of things. Although, though, in mitigation of that, like Brazil's kind of properly woken up to him now, haven't they? Because he's played for the national team. So it's brought a different level of attention from back home. Yeah, and Br- the Brazilian national team is a, it is a big deal, isn't it? It's still, it, it carries a huge amount of weight. And I think... Th- what, from what I saw from actual Brazilians, they seem to be impressed by the fact that he just came in and took the piss straight away because I think for a lot of players it can be a, a difficult thing to, to kind of carry the weight of the shirt and all that sort of stuff, as it has been at Leeds as well at points for Luke Varney, for example, although he couldn't have essentially have carried any shirt, could he, given the uh, the lack of skill he had? But Rafinha came in and instantly just went, yeah, this is, this is a piece of piss. I can do this. And he's done the same for Brazil. There's a style of play issue as well that Brazil were very pedestrian in both matches until Rafinha comes on and they're still quite pedestrian until he gets the ball and suddenly he's taking players on and he's beating them and he's even um, the first thing he did when he came on as a sub was sliding block tackle in the right back position so he was getting back to defend pressing that left back getting the ball off him and um, just looking much more lively and again you know the contrast between there was one tweet, I was looking down the, the Twitter feed of a Brazilian fan who commented on a, a video and one of their tweets was, uh, it's okay, Neymar, we all know the feeling of going to work and you can't really be bothered. <laughs> and there's there's kind of, even um, this business is the ball rolling under the foot, so Thiago Silva off of Chelsea came on as a late substitute as well to kind of, because Colombia were getting on top and so he's brought on at the back to partner McQueenos and there'll be everything will be calmed down. First thing that happens is the goalkeeper with a free kick rolls the ball about five yards to him. It goes underneath his foot and out for a throw-in. It's like, this is Brazil, and half the players don't seem capable of just concentrating on controlling a ball under the foot. Just look at Neymar, by the way. 222 million euros, that's 190 million pounds at today's exchange, right? Yeah, and that's why I think whatever the quality of the pass or the cutback coming to him, you would expect him to be able to respond to a football being kicked at him a little bit better and I'm annoyed about that one because it, it denied Rafinha yet another assist um, and there was the one it was the other uh, debutant as a substitute Anthony um, you know Tony he uh, came on and got on the end it was actually a good effort and a good save he got on the end of a cross that was very nearly an assist for Rafinha the, the cut back to Neymar should have been finished that's an assist for Rafinha he got two in the first game when they played against 
Venezuela. Venezuela. Um, he also was involved in uh, the penalty. He made the pass to the player who shot and then the rebound before the rebound could go in. There was a foul given. So that's sort of an assist for the penalty. And then um, Thiago Silva headed one in, but he was offside. And that was stupid because it was from a, a free kick. So that should have counted. And um, there was another one, I think, that was given offside as well that should have been there. Are you saying oh, there, there, were, there were a lot of assists? Yeah, Rob Conlon did the, the maths on our blog for the Venezuela game, and there should have been five minimum in the 3-1 the win. But uh, he changed that game as well because they were losing when he came on against Venezuela. He didn't manage to turn the Colombia one into better than a nil-nil draw, but Brazil were looking ready to lose that one before he came on. And he was certainly the best chance they had of winning it was give him the ball. And what was kind of um, crucial to note was after that chance that Neymar effed up because he couldn't control the ball, the next one was Rafinha running through and playing a one-two with Neymar as the wall. So the kind of the pecking order had gone. They're not trying to set up Neymar to score anymore. It's Neymar is trying to set up Rafinha running into the penalty area. If you can't do it, I'll do it for you then. Exactly. And he cut inside and it was only then uh, Mina, who is um, still a big lad, came over and just blocked his path. So that's the only thing that prevented him scoring. For as much as we are kind of almost accepting that he will probably leave at some point, at least we have the consolation of knowing how much we'll sell him for. You do wonder how that performance and well, this international break has gone down in Wren, where there is presumably a director of football there having to go into work. And they go, "Didn't you sell him? Didn't you agree to sell him for seventeen million pounds?" And he's going, "Hmm, uh, we." Mm-hmm. Although your uh, your stad Rone did just beat Paris Saint Germain two 0 So all's well that ends well. So let's not fo- let's not focus about who I've sold. Let's just focus on recent results. <laughs> yes, it's not about the money you spend. It's about the results on the pitch, isn't it? And uh, Neymar, Messi, Mbappe, 2-0 to Stade Rene. And I guess maybe it would have been 3-0 if they had Rafinha. Similar story on the international front. Liam Cooper played for Scotland. Changed the game. I did see it. I didn't see the Scotland game, obviously, because it's a Scotland game. But I did see Liam Cooper's Instagram, and it was a picture of him kind of being held aloft and hugged after the game. And I thought, oh, he's played. That's good. And then I looked it up, and he's come on in the 95th minute. Which, Ten seconds of action. But I, I'm, I didn't do anything wrong, did he? They held on to that lead. So, That's so that was good. Bit. Little Dan James scored the equaliser that two-two draw for Wales versus the Czech Republic, and your boy Tyro came off the bench. Did he change the game there as well, Moscow for Wales? Didn't watch it, but um, Dan James's that goal was that good. Doesn't, that doesn't matter. You don't need to. Okay, I mean, I assume that the the valleys are ringing with uh, Robert's propaganda, just as um, the River Plate is singing. That's oh, is that that's Argentina. That's Argentina. <laughs> Close. I mean, great story though. The, uh, the the beaches of Copacabana, singing Rafinha's name. Uh, Dan James is called good kind of ghosts in behind the the fullback, and then an easy through ball. It's a little bit sleepy the defending, but the finish is really good. Shoots got so we, we we like Dan James now. Is that right? Oh, he's a fine did. player. Yeah, yeah. good. Looks, uh, looks great in red. Dallas played on the right-hand side of midfield, was he? Can we call him a winger still? In the 2-0 defeat for Northern Ireland against Switzerland. He started there and I think he ended up more left-back. And then right-back. They had a man sent off, didn't they? So I think he, 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 yeah. just is, he is the man who shifts around. Did he do the 11 Stuart Dallas's role? Exactly. It yeah. was um, ascending, it was an absolute dog shit sending off as well. That, that was ridiculous, wasn't it? You yeah. see it, yeah. First it, half. Time wasting from a throw-in. 
at nil. It was nil nil at that point as well, yeah. wasn't it? And there was and Northern Ireland needed the win, and the the counting is it was less than twenty seconds. I think it was about twenty three actually from the moment the ball went out, something like that. Somebody counted it from the moment the ball t- crossed the touchline to him getting booked. Was and about twenty three seconds to the, the two minute pause for VAR. Yeah, that had already been going on, and it was just yeah, absolute ridiculous. But you know, welcome to the world of refereeing. Eh? Mm. Um, Clicky played in the first half of the five nil victory for Poland against San Marino. Tough uh, game for him. Great bunch of lads. To be fair, 45 minutes against San Marino is, is probably like a warm down, isn't it, more or less, compared to the stuff he has to do at Leeds. And uh, England, apparently England played, but there not was aware. nobody of any in- interest. England though. under-21s, uh, also not aware, actually. It's under-20s <laughs> that we like, isn't it? Uh, who's the manager there these days? It's not um, Boothroyd, is it anymore? Is it Carsley? Lee Carsley, yeah. Right, and the did, legend. didn't play our boys. No, no, it's a bit weird, called up. Uh, I think Creswell might be... Is he aged out of the under-20s, but Gellhart got called up to cover an injury and then just sat on the bench instead of actually playing any of the games. Uh, although, dropping down a year group to the under-20s, we had three of them all played in that draw versus Italy, and it was a goal made in Leeds, wasn't it? Greenwood, Drame and Bate, and Bate uh, apparently absolutely running the show there. Best player on the pitch by a mile, so say eyewitnesses. And Drama as well, apparently also very good. I mean, Greenwood's involvement in the goal you can call it an assist if you want. It's kind of a miscontrol, isn't it? It gets put into the box by Drama and then he, he has a bit of a touch. What, what, with... what will the record book show, Michael? It'll show leads to leads to leads and a goal. Leads, leads, leads. Excellent. Uh, Melier played in the 21s for France. Clean sheet versus Ukraine, 5-0. And Chris Klassen uh, will make you jump, jump in the 3-2 defeat to Croatia for the 21s for Norway. I mean, he only conceded three. <laughs> okay, yeah. We're we going to go with that one. I uh, watched the highlights <laughs> <laughs> just move on and that is have all we, have we found a new Bailey Peacock Farrell a bloody old um, I don't know he looked good in the uh, the old what's it the Papa John's the other week talk, against, talk uh, to me, we're not talking about that though talk to me about the Croatia game <laughs> um, he seems to it's funny because he's obviously a very good goalkeeper but since Leeds United's interest kind of was confirmed you remember that weekend when he, he was playing his last games for Valaranga and he went apeshit yeah, and I don't think he's calmed down yet. I think there's still the, you know, moving to a new country, getting used to all the stuff. All the, basically, all the excuses you could never make for Bailey Peacock Farrell because he came from fucking Darlington. Um, <laughs> he's Northern Irish. He's Northern Irish. So don't, of don't... course, he'd had to cross so many borders, hadn't he? Um, learn a new language. Yeah, I think there's, uh, I think Clarsen seems to be going through a bit of an adjustment. And I suppose his whole, uh, you know, it's a reset when you go to a new club and they give you new ideas and you've got to start but and start from scratch in some ways but um yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's just getting a bit giddy okay fine let's move on to say speaking of northern ireland we've got um a club shop now in belfast and i did wonder about this mulling over this overnight i wonder if this is a way around sort of brexity issues because it's still in the single market isn't it so it means they can ship stuff out of belfast probably to the rest of europe there mm, possibly or, or are you suggesting people are just driving it over the border in, in industrial quantities of Adidas gear getting over there. Probably Eamon, who does our mag work. He's he's been enlisted to to drive to do those those I, midnight drives. I think you've just accused Adidas of trafficking. That was what you said. I didn't. You said they were avoiding customs. Said, no. Basically, like when you used to go behind the Iron Curtain with a suitcase full of jeans. Yeah, did they used to spend all the eighties doing that. The American trousers <laughs> getting him getting him over the borders. <laughs> but no, it's quite. I'm quite pleased. It I, is a good. It's I a mean, good I, sign, I, isn't it? It's a good. I dare sign. say I'll never go to it because I don't live in Belfast and. I, I'm quite near Leeds, but I quite liked it. I liked it when I was growing up and there used to be a shop in Wakefield as well. That mm. was fun. Mm-hmm. 
But um, yeah, which, which do you think? Which do you think seen more violence, Belfast or Wakefield? <laughs> in recent years, I don't know. It seems to have. Well, actually, it's not calmed down, has it? In Belfast, particularly. Mind you, I meant to ask you. You went out in uh, in Ponty, didn't you? Because we did an extra ball, which is uh, a Q and A, and one of the questions that came in was, with it being the international break, what are you up to? And you went to see some football. I did. I was meant to go and see Wakefield AFC, who play at Fev. But for some reason, their game was called off. I think it's because it clashed with an FA Trophy thing and they weren't meant to schedule games or something. I can't remember. It was complicated. But I went to see Hemsworth Miners Welfare against Peniston instead. And the game was abandoned after 70 minutes because, well, there's a double sending off, first of all, which didn't seem anything much, to be honest. Is there, is there bad blood between the two sides? <sighs> Not as far as I'm aware. But it, it kicked off a little bit on the pitch. But then as the Peniston player was leaving the pitch, a spectator punched him. <laughs> right. Um, and then you're, all the, you're not allowed to do that, are you? No, not really. And then all the players ended up charging over and there was a big a melee, you would say. A, bru- on, a brouhaha. Yeah, on the uh, on the touchline. And then the ref just, just abandoned it pretty much straight away. I thought it was a bit premature. I'd have let it calm down and see... Waited to see what happened because there were only twenty minutes left. I'd have, I'd have seen it out, but yeah. um, yeah, I mean, was... I, mean I, I remember back in the in the nineties, Eric Cantona. I jumped into the crowd and assaulted a spectator who was saying bad things to him. So you know, this, the, this the worm has kind of turned. The, rever- the reverse, yeah. But um, that was it was good, good entertainment. <laughs> it was not a brilliant game, I have to say. There was an absolute screamer scored in it from for about twenty five yards, like a proper outside of the foot, unstoppable shot, which was that was worth paying for. Mm-hmm. I don't I mean I don't know if I get a. Presumably, I'll get free entry to the the rescheduled game. I don't know. Yeah, that's a point. Actually, Pay five pounds to get in there. Contact the hold local on, FA. Hold on to your ticket subs <laughs> in case of a replay. <laughs> in fact, we've got a clip. Actually, you managed to capture a clip from this game. It was. This is the the electric atmosphere. Okay, as it was all kicking off. Here we go. Is that the family stand you're in there? <laughs> There were there were genuinely some quite scared looking children, but then also there were also some quite scary looking children around who, who probably could have could have decked me as well. So I suppose these things even out. But so they dragged them straight out of the mines and just exactly don't see much daylight. So yeah, it was uh, it was it was an interesting and you interesting went, day. Did you go out in Pontefract? I did. Yeah, some some karaoke bars. Was it a bar pub type? It was a bit like Three Legs if you've ever been in there. Uh, Beast Fair Vaults in Ponty. Interesting. Right. Okay. So what did you say? Well. I didn't sign up for this, but mm. um, someone I was with signed me up for Sweet Caroline. So that Absolute was... Class. And that so will have got what, the whole place jumping. So what a, what a was, cliche. I know, I know. It wouldn't have been my choice. I'd have gone for something a bit more niche, but you know... But a crowd pleaser, and it seems like the sort of place you'd want the crowd on your side, so I think that's a good move. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. I mean, someone... Uh, you don't want to get up there and say, right, this is tubular bells. <laughs> <laughs> Just pick a long one, something like uh, like Bat Out of Hell or something. That's like a nine yeah. a nine minute song to, that was, to talk uh, to everyone with. Meatloaf, you know, like that was the DJ Needs a Poo song. Yes, was that from when I used just... to poo in? You need to poo in the uh, bars or clubs when you're working because you can just. It's a good solid seven minutes at least, mm. which you need. Obviously, you need to navigate your way through a crowd and then do your business and then come back. So it's always a, a safe bet. I know you used to do it on the radio as well. You used to you used to pre-record sections and like you know, yeah, disappear off, didn't you? I mean, go, go and do go and do the weekly shop or something while you while you're playing out some it, songs. It was only a game of temp in bowling, Michael. <laughs> anyway, let's move on uh, on to other stuff. Then, are we sponsor a team? Aren't we great? I mean, I presume we do. We own them now. Is that the way it works? We've we've sponsored them. Surely that's the same difference. Yeah. So, a quick. Um, if you haven't seen the story that is on our website on the blog, Holbeck Moor, um, which is right next to Ellen Road. It's on the journey to Ellen Road for many people. Now have a football team. Moscow, if you're watching the video version, by the way, on YouTube, Moscow is now wafting the, the Holbeck Moor shirt 
with our logo on to his his camera. There it is. Looks very good. It's a white thing with green and black and got a husky on it's, it. It's a husky. They are the huskies. Husky on the back. I've got a number ten. This is my shirt. Thank how, you. How can we have the only one that gets a shirt? Um, I asked for one. Oh, so you just got to ask ah. nicely. Um, oh. I know you find it difficult being just polite <laughs> under the general under general. Well, no, I, I thought it was best that you know we let the players have the shirts and we didn't steal them immediately. But it's fine if if you if you want to essentially um take money out of a non-profit sports organisation. That's that's fine. We put money in. That's the point. Oh, oh, so, oh, so you, clawing what? it back. And so now you deserve it, dear. Sponsorship. They are a. I bet uh, you be in a full tracksuit next week. They are a. Um, I mean, given half a chance. They are a subs three. Um, everybody welcome football team. Ewan is the name of the guy who started it. Realised that Holbeck does not have an adult sports team, and it could do with one because it helps people's physical, mental health, and so to remove barriers to accessing the benefits. The Slung Low, who are the organisation currently running the Holbeck Social Club, the oldest social club in Britain, and theatre company, when they're not doing that well, I mean, they do it all at once. They make sure that anybody's needs for childcare or travel or transport, whatever they need to come to training and to play, will be sorted out for them with the generous help of a local fanzine and podcast organization. That's kind of, that's where, um, that's where our money is going. In Venice, um, knowing they'll uh, look after your kids and have them to start playing football again. <laughs> well, that's, I just go, I just go and play net. That's fine. <laughs> it is, um, it is literally, they have a men's team and a women's team and they are starting, they're going into, um, I can't remember which way around it is, but there's, uh, one bunch are going into like a friendly league. That's kind of not really part of a pyramid structure. It's just going, done for people who just want to, have a laugh, but have a competitive match. So it's probably not quite as severe as the match you're at as the weekend, but there is also a team going into a, a proper local competitive league. They're going in some tournaments and five-a-side tournaments and a bunch of people who just go to training just for the fun of it, to kick a ball about and um, get some exercise and, and keep fit. So that's what it's um, all about. And I think they're completely open to anybody going along and uh, having the opportunity to wear this beautiful garment in a competitive match. So it's the, yeah, if you find the story on our blog, it's got all the links to what you need to know about, and also Slung Low on Twitter will find that. But yeah, not wrong with a husky, not wrong with our logo in uh, lovely green and black on the front. Looks good. Proud to be involved in it. It's a good community initiative. Yes, it is. Aren't we good? <laughs> <laughs> we are. And listen, um, we can't close this section out uh, without paying tribute to the former Leeds physio who dies at the age of 89. Now, I've just realised I've only ever seen his name in print or written down because I remember seeing his name, like, you know, collecting programmes through the 80s and 90s or whatever. And it was one of those names that you saw printed because they used to print all the staff in the front of the programme. I don't know if they still do. And is it Jeff Ladley or Ladley? Ladley, yeah, surely. it's got yeah. to be Ladley. I think it was he on team photo. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I seem to remember him from like my my early days of Leeds, the kind of Thistle Hotels kits. He was there on the. I can uh, visualise yeah. him in the Umbro, Umbro tracksuit, actually, from about 1987. You, you might be thinking of um, Alan Sutton. No, no, so, I, I, I definitely confusion. remember because because um, he because the thing with Jeff Ladley is he he started in 1976, but then the early 80s he went away, then he came back, and then around the start of the 90s he went away and came back so th- there was some sort of online confusion people putting up photos of 
Alan Sutton, who I can is, definitely uh, visualise him. Though. I can yeah, visualise him. Uh, he he would be at the opposite, the far end of the middle row from uh, Sutty. Uh, but a man who's had his hands on some very good players over the years, and um, it's never it's just never good, is it? When when you lose people, I mean, I know he's nearly ninety, lived to a ripe old age, a good innings, as the as the cliche goes. But it's still sad, isn't it, when you see another bit of kind of your childhood or, or the club's history leave. Yeah, I enjoyed um, Tony Curry's speaking about him in the Yorkshire Evening Post. He was talking about how there were a lot of sponge merchants in those days, bucket and sponge merchants, but uh, Jeff Ladley was um, one of the best physios around in his estimation. And used to, you can find some stories of other physios they trained under him. He was part of like raising standards across the game. And then Tony Curry talks about his last game for Leeds when he, he played a friendly in, uh, I think it's against Ajax in um, Holland and gets whacked and should have come off. And he says, oh, he sorted me out, best physio ever, gave me all the treatment I needed, strapped me up, put some ice on it. I went out on the piss, couldn't play for three months, signed for QPR, <laughs> I was on crutches. Like, well, uh, is that the best the best physiotherapy available? And actually in the mid-70s, yeah, probably was. Get some ice on it, strap that up. You, what are you doing now? On the piss? Mm, well, yeah, we're in Amsterdam. Have a good night. He might have said... I probably wouldn't. Yeah. He'd be like, but I really want to go. Well, if you're going to go on the it's piss, do, do it on crutches then. Just look after your legs. Yeah. The other good um, uh, tribute was a, a mention from him in the book about Doncaster Bells, uh, Chantel Woodhead, who played for them in the mid-90s and combined that with running uh, Leeds United's merchandise operation. She was bringing that into the into the 1990s, computerising it all. And she mentioned in the book about how she's obviously overcoming a lot of the, the barriers that uh, women footballers had to do at the time. I wasn't sure that the attitudes towards her, wherever she was, whether playing for Donny or working at, at Leeds were always the best. But so the one person who always had time for her was Jeff Ladley. Was like, if she had any kind of knock that might have affected her from playing for Donny Bells and she had a, she got an England cap and came to play for Leeds later in her career, um, any kind of knock, she could go to Jeff and it wasn't his job, but he would always sort her out, would always give her some treatment and, uh, and make sure she was fit to play. That's probably one of the best tributes as a kind of off wage off the clock helping people play football because that's what physios do basically isn't it they help people be fit enough to go and play the game so once he'd finished sorting out you know uh, brian dean paid tribute to him as well so once he'd finished sorting out brian dean's famous poisoned elbow in the mid uh, 90s to have some time left for chantelle woodard who at leeds is the manager of the club shop and it's uh, but on weekends is uh, is a left back for Donny. That's a good thing. That actually neatly segues into a quick chat about Leeds United women who went full Preston at home, five one up. Laura Bartop with another hat trick. Is that a third one of the season now? Something ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Five, second in two weeks. Great stuff. Absolutely on fire. This is against Durham Sestria. Ended up five five with an eighty eighth minute equaliser. So don't do that. <laughs> no, uh, there was another hat trick in the game as well. One of their players got a hat trick. Which is a, you don't get to keep the match ball if you're the second hat tricker, do you? You only get to keep it if you score the first hat trick. I think. I think so. Although to be fair, I think at, at that level, they probably can't be giving away match balls every week because mm. they're they're about eighty quid, aren't they? And it's mm. uh, you know it's, it's quite a dear do having to, having to do that every single week. It feels like a lot for a football. Yeah, I, I would say so. Get, get on Sports Direct. Get some. Uh, <laughs> get those three quid. Two for sixteen quid these days. Yeah, Mike Ashley needs that money, doesn't he? <laughs> he does indeed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Durham brought on a, a sub called Turnbull who seemed to change the entire game and uh, reading Kath Hamill's column in the YEP quite uh, holding hands up and being if the game had lasted another 10 minutes Leeds probably would have lost but 
they are still top of the league by a point. So um, that's where they need to be. And there's only one promotion place. You've got to win that league to get promoted, which is pretty tough. But they're in it. So they can win it. They can. Durham are not in it. So they can probably still win it. But uh, they've never beaten Leeds and they still haven't. So a win for us, sort of. <laughs> that's the real quiz. Hey, we talked about physios there, and Phil Hay has done a thing with Dave Hancock. You remember Dave Hancock? Half an hour of him, yes. Yes, the old uh, the old physio uh, uh, at Ellen Road. Left us for Chelsea, but we don't talk about that. But he's done a thing on him. He's led quite an interesting life. Do you know, Dave Hancock actually used to be the resident physio at the gym that I was signed up to. Is that because you're an elite athlete? Yes, I'm going to say, is the answer to that. Uh, you can read that by Phil on The Athletic at the minute, and you can get signed up with our 50% off offer. It is theathletic.com forward slash the square ball. If you, uh, you want to check that out, it's 30 quid for the year, 50% off the price of an annual sub. Theathletic.com forward slash the square ball. And we look forward to chatting to Phil more about uh, football on the Phil Hay Show later on in the week. Let's talk about this game on Saturday then. Southampton away. They've had a very slow start. Still not won a game. Easy win now that we're all singing, all dancing, all winning, all joyously United. We've won loads of games compared to them. Well, 100% record in the last game, mm-hmm. which is 100% more than them. Okay. They are 100% losers. Apart from the games they've drawn. They don't count. They have, in fairness, had a couple of good draws with Man City and Man United. They're actually quite good points, but then they've also lost to Everton and Wolves, so can't well, be that good. Well, they drew with Newcastle, who we know are the richest club in the world, so well done, Southampton. Southampton do better against top clubs who, because they, as we saw them at Leeds, they press and try and get the ball off you loads. But if they are against a team that lets them have the ball, they're garbage. So that's why when um, their best performances are just uh, trying to get the ball and counter-attack. They did lose a couple of key names over the summer, which has noticeably weakened their first-team squad. Danny Ings went to Villa for a boatload of money, but I didn't even realise Vestergaard had gone to Leicester, so this is news to me. Yeah, I think he, had, he was into the last year of his deal, so they uh, they had to cash in on him before losing him for free. And they, um, they're also potentially without Che Adams as well at the weekend. The, um, do you remember who we signed instead of him? I can't. No, I don't no. think we did. Did didn't we? sign yeah, anyone, did we? Yeah. In yeah. the end, but yeah, he he missed. A, um, he's missing the Scotland game this uh, tonight. I think it is as we record, so he might not be fit either. So they might be down to Armstrong up front, who is the guy they got from Blackburn as a replacement for Ings. And James Ward-Prowse is suspended as well. For that vicious assault on that Chelsea hero. Yeah, mm. so it's um, it's a good time to be playing this bunch of uh, losers. It, it is all set up for us to, to win and take advantage of this situation, but that would terrify your average Leeds fan, the notion that it's there to be won. But we've said that already plenty in this season, looking at the games versus Burnley, Newcastle so far, games we should be looking at to say, right, these are the ones we need to win, these are the ones we should win. And that applies to this, doesn't it? As much as you might not like to admit it, Michael. I mean, yeah. And also, when you look at the whoscored.com strengths, it's notable that their only strength is shooting from direct free kicks, and that is James Ward-Prowse, Ward yeah. and he is not going to be playing. So that essentially leaves them with no strengths, which I'm, I'm comfortable with. Mm. Adam Armstrong did score against us in the championship, didn't he? Mm, I think so. Yeah. So that's... Um, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Scary, that, isn't it? And uh, obviously, Alex McCarthy is a Leeds fan, so... Uh, that's nothing to worry about in there net. Will we play in the blue or the lilac for this? That's one of the important things for me. I think it should be, it should be blue. I'd be thinking blue. Mm. Yeah. Because what? lilac is a, a mixture of red and white, isn't it? What sort colour? of. Lilac is a shade of blue, surely. Well, it's kind of pinky. Is it? Uh, I don't know. 
Anyway. What colour shorts does Southampton wear this season? Black. See, that's where you're blue. Ah, but you're allowed. In. You're allowed. Premier uh, Premier League rules allow for short clashes. Do they? They do. Yeah. So okay, right. Well, maybe should we should wear neon green? Well, there is that white so shirt. Clash with anything. Well, there's the white short option, isn't there? That we debuted at Fulham with the blue kit. Of course, and that. But that was a EFL rules, wasn't yeah. it? So I had to change your shorts because um, Sean Harvey says so. Yeah. So we'll definitely be wearing a kit. Uh huh. That's good. This is the match preview, is it? I mean, their their weaknesses: finishing, scoring chances, keeping possession, aerial duels, defending set pieces, avoiding fouling in dangerous areas, and defending against skillful players. Which is Rafinha? A question mark over his return. How late he comes back? I was going to say he will be arriving jet lagged and yeah, but he's he's absolutely buzzing blood clotted from being on a long haul flight. <laughs> he's buzzing his tits off though. Is Rafinha at the minute? There's no danger of him. He's coming back and he's scoring in this game um, to continue his hot streak. I mean, hopefully they. Just don't play him because he's who, who did they play on Friday? I can't remember. Uruguay, Uruguay, yeah, and that's a, like, our time is early Friday morning, isn't it? And then mm. he, it's he's, not like he's gone there and played three games. We've been moaning before about him only coming off the bench, but it's probably worked out better for us, hasn't it? That he's like in a sort of star cameo role. There's a lot of traveling though because they've been they were based in Bogota before the Venezuela game, so they'll have gone to Venezuela, then back to Colombia, and then. The game against Uruguay is in Brazil, and it's a pretty long way. Right. So you've, the, you've been the, to South America, Michael. <laughs> is it a long way? It is a long way. Yeah. I mean, anyone with a map can can, yeah. can probably look at these things. But yeah, I mean, what, what should we look way. at? What should we look at on the map? Uh, the distance, right? Mm. The, if, I mean, aeroplanes go fairly straight. Yeah. So you don't have to look at roads. You can just look at more or less straight lines. Right. And then there's flying from Brazil to where's he going to come in Heathrow and then get to Southampton. This is it's. The uh, we know. I'm sure we all know the story of Gary Sprakes' debut as a. I think he was only 16 when our goalkeeper away to Southampton was um, taken ill. I think he was either too ill or too injured, and uh, the only reserve we had available was Gary Sprake, who was in bed in Beeston, and uh, they got him in a, a car. They drove him as fast as they could to Ringways, now Manchester Airport and put him in a private plane and flew him to Southampton. And he puked all the way because he didn't like the air travel. So they flew him to a a small airfield near Southampton where Don Reavy was there with a car to pick him up. And apparently he was so sick that he, Reavy had to carry him out of the plane into the car that was waiting for him drive to the Dell where the game had already been delayed to allow Leeds to fly this goalkeeper down, stick him on the pitch where I think the first thing that happened was he conceded an own goal. And then um, in the middle of a challenge, one of the Southampton players knocked him unconscious. So it was um, an interesting day all around. He said that he didn't get to eat all day until they were back in London and they had a, a pause for the train home. And um, he finally had steak and chips, and it was the first thing he'd eaten in about 48 hours. I'm amazed to find there's a Maps app on my laptop. No way. I'm not lying, no. I thought you were going to get the Ordnance Survey out. True story. And it confirms there is an airport in Southampton. Its three-letter code is SOU, Southampton. A good idea, what might be a slightly better idea, I've just noticed that Southampton has a common big patch of green land. Bring the plane in on that. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's just down the road, don't you? What this this fabled map tells me. If you go down, it's called Hulse Road, Rob Hulse Road. 
There's Lidl just at the end there. Drop it down on Southampton Common. Pop in the car around to Lidl. Mm-hmm. Pick up a sandwich. Go along the road. See, I think take him to the ground. I think the plane he would be coming across the Atlantic on will have food. Mm. Just a hunch. And it's probably going to need a bigger airport than is available on uh, Southampton Common. But if you get him in a helicopter from Heathrow and just, I mean, if you're looking for a big patch of grass to land a helicopter on, St. Mary's has got one right in the middle. So half time. Yep. Dropping down. Can we not do it before the game? I mean, as soon as he's available, I was uh, accounting for delays. But um, well, hang on a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. They've got a ferry. There's a ferry terminal. That famously fast mode of transport. We had out that boat. Went about 100 and something years ago from Southampton. And wrote that one. Do you know what it was called? The Sinky one. That's the one. <laughs> I'm not proposing we send him back on the return journey of the Titanic. Just that don't rule it out as an option. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll get him there somehow. I think we could go on a, a boat plane. We might now have Calvin Phillips is the other thing. What? Well, he's... he's well, he's, he's didn't go to play Andorra, did he? So what's his excuse? Um, did you see Andorra's ground on fire? It was like a sort of... It's the sort of thing you probably went to see over the weekend, Mike. Like a little, uh, little. It's like a sports center attached to it. Did you mm. see any of it? I, I saw. I only saw a still of the uh, of the fire. It wasn't going on during the game, was it? Uh, no, no. Can confirm there were no flames. But yeah, Calvin missed that. But I presume he's just he's going to be fine, isn't he? Well, yeah. Leeds, I think, intimated that he wouldn't be fit enough to play for England, but he'd be fine for us against Southampton. But they also kind of put it out there that Rafinha was going to be able to play in this game, and he's not going. to. Is he not? He's not going to be back in time. Of course he is. He might be. I think genuinely, I think he might make the bench. I think mm. we'll probably start with Jackie and James. There's a railway line that runs right past St. Mary's. Don't see a station, but so. Jump off. Yeah. Just ask him to slow down. Yeah, about like James Bond <laughs> running across the top. I mean, if Gary Sprake can get there in 1964, Rafinha can get there in 2021, puke everywhere, get knocked out, still probably be the best player on the pitch. We're going to win. Yeah. Do they, is Theo Walcott back there now? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> like a Absolutely whole, searing in No, he, he is there. Like whether, a homing pigeon. I'm not sure whether he'll play, though. Because <laughs> um, I, I don't think he does all the time. Yeah, but if James Ward-Prowse is out and Shea Adams, who else have they got? Yeah, that's true. Because they're not the strongest. And they're also not very good. We do, I mean, the, the one serious thing to say about this is... We need a win because it would be nice to win two games in a row. Mm. But also, the longer we can keep Southampton winless, the greater the chances that they'll stay below us in the league table. So a six-pointer already at this stage in the season. Not a six-pointer. A must-win six-pointer. Not a a must-win, but it would definitely help us if teams that aren't winning games didn't beat us in general. And if, you know, Newcastle are going to sign all of Paris Saint-Germain's players in January then, um, or even just get a decent manager, then replacing them below us with uh, Southampton would be fine by me. I don't care who goes down as long as it's not us. Do you reckon we've got the the monkey off our back in terms of being winless ourselves by beating Watford? We've, We've shed that skin now and we're ready to go on and use it as a springboard for the rest of our season, or are you still terrified? I feel all right. I feel fine. We'll be all right in this game. I felt all right before, and I think we'll be all right in this game because even when they were at their best last season with those players that have sold and the players that are missing this game, we still beat them home and away and were never really uncomfortable in either game. Hassan Hüttl tried to uh, 
big himself up and big his team up in, I think it was the Elland Road match, where he was all a bit bewildered and we won 3-0 from memory. And yeah, it was just a matter of kind of getting used to how high they press and then going, well, that's fine. Let's just win. We'll play through your press. Mm. Okay. And Daniel James is useful in that scenario. And if it is Jackie instead of Rafinha, it's not like Jackie Harrison suddenly a terrible player just because Rafinha is now better than Pele. So we'll still be very strong. And then interesting to see who's up front, whether it's uh, Big Pat Bambo or whether it's Rodrigo carries on up there. We don't know about Bamford's fitness. I'd like to see Shackleton keep going because if we are talking about beating a high press, then send him motoring past them all. Are you prepared to go on record with a score prediction? 1-0 Leeds. 4-0 to Leeds. Jesus Christ. Well, in that case, I'll go somewhere in the middle. Two and a half nil. Okay. Hey, Michael, you know that game that you went to see? I do. What league was it in? It was, of course. I can't believe you don't know what, what league Hems well, I mean, might no, as well I know. In. I'm asking for Moscow's benefit. Oh, yeah. It was the uh, Moscow. It was the Tool Station Northern Counties East League. Who's My your favourite league? Well, who's, who's your favourite team in it? Well, I normally follow the uh, Tool Station Northwest Counties West League. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Two Wests. <laughs> Yes. The, the Northwest West League. Yes. Who's in that then? Just just Blackpool or someone? It's uh, entirely competed for by West Highland Terriers. <laughs> you know um, that little dust up that they had? Mm-hmm. I was trying to think, what could you put it down as? And you know what's coming. Negligence in the workplace. Is it personal injury? Or is it dispute resolution that they need? There was not a lot of resolution going on from, <laughs> what, from what I saw. But um, yeah, one of them. One of them. All of them. Who, All- who could sort? Such things. Oh, I'm, I'm racking my brains trying to think who we might mention on this podcast as a destination for any of those inquiries. Do you know what the best bit is? Because we've mentioned it, if they mention us, we'll get 10% off their legal fees at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Just, just get in touch with Levi's. They'll fix your silly football league, won't they? Heroes and villains first. The Ken Bates Villain of the Week Award nominations, please. Lee Carsley. We mentioned him earlier on in the show. We did. He's the England under-21 manager, and he's incompetent, basically, because he's not seen fit to put Cresswell or Gellhart in his team. And have they won? Did they win that game? No, they did not. What happened? Who did they play? They've drawn, haven't they, against Slovenia? Oh, they did beat Andorra 1-0. Oh, oh well oh, done. Brilliant. Well done, lads. Joffy uh, would have got four goals in that. The ridiculous amount of investment that goes into youth football in England and all the mega academies of... Chelsea and Man City and Arsenal and the best they can churn out is a 1-0 win against Andorra. It's barely worth bothering. Speaking of um, people pumping money in, go on then, let's do Newcastle. We've got to nominate him here, haven't we? Because they've they've put themselves up there to be one of the villainous clubs. Great bunch of lads, I think. Well, yeah, if you don't say that, then apparently bad things will happen. You have to say that their new owners are the best bunch of lads in the world. Yeah, Newcastle have been a right old mess this week. Trying to walk that line between are we with the richest club in the world? And you say, well, is that really a good thing given where the money's coming from? Ah, you're obsessed with us. Leave us alone. <laughs> and you can't have it both ways. You can either puff your chest out and, and dance around in cheesecloths and robes because that's the sober, mature, responsible response to the takeover. But you can't then do that and say, you know, people shouldn't be paying any attention to what's happening at Newcastle because you're drawing attention. To what's happening at Newcastle and what's happening at Newcastle, even if it may be just a continuation of lots of other bad things that have happened in the Premier League, in football, in society, 
doesn't mean that this is a we don't put this into the good the good side of the ledger just because oh well all the other ones are bad so we'll just say yeah, you're that's fine. What about her, isn't it? Um, yeah, it is. And the, mean, the differences are very easy to draw out because they keep bringing up you know nobody worries about Saudi Arabian investment in Uber. That's true. I mean, people do worry about it to an extent that it is discussed and highlighted, but nobody. 50,000 people don't turn out on a weekend to cheer the taxi drivers on and put posters of them on the wall and you don't spend £70 to buy an Uber shirt and put it on and go to another town and sing songs about how great Uber are. Whereas football clubs, they do exist in a different way culturally and in society that means the rules do change because that is what you do. And now it's a two-way representation of whether a Newcastle fan is representing um, what happens in Saudi Arabia, as a lot of them seem to very cheerfully do, and whether Saudi Arabia is using Newcastle's reputation to uh, wash away its human rights record. There is a very clear stage. distinction as well that Saudi Arabia have invested in Uber to make money. That's probably not their first priority with Newcastle, isn't that they're going to... I mean, obviously, if they make them successful, the value of their asset will increase, but they're probably, if the Newcastle fans' dreams are to be realised just going to spunk a load of money on this thing with ne- with it never coming back. And that is not the same as them buying a bit of Disney or whatever because they're not happy to just go, well, I'll tell you what, just make some films, lads. It doesn't matter if it, it doesn't matter if you don't make any profit off these. That, they want money back on Newcastle, probably not. And the other side of that is the way you receive it and the way you interact with it because it is very difficult to go through modern life without being hypocritical because, yeah, I disagree with human rights abuses in Saudi Arabia, but I will get an Uber home, but it's very transactional. I'm merely getting from A to B. And that is one of the few ways that um, society makes available for me to do that. I'm not chasing after the taxi, singing songs about it and, you know, <laughs> making it a part of my a, a part of my culture and life that is integral to my identity the way that a, a football club is. And if Newcastle fans, who the ones who are vociferous about this, if they want to insist on this comparison with investments in um, the likes of Uber and Disney, then they need to start regarding their football club the way that I regard Uber or Disney and just make it purely transactional. And I think that's actually good advice for them. This is the way to negotiate a Newcastle fan through this is never have the words support the team and not the regime been more applicable than in this situation. Modern society and football in particular does make it very difficult not to be hypocritical, but you can bend that hypocrisy in a way that doesn't involve singing the praises and becoming a fan of a despotic regime. You can still be a fan of Newcastle United and maybe start donating to Amnesty International to campaign for changes in the human rights record of Saudi Arabia. You're still a hypocrite because you are still with, you know, you're going to a a game and enjoying watching Neymar and Mbappe, who are obviously signed for Newcastle on Saturday, and then you're doing a little bit of sports washing of your own self, going, oh, I'll chuck a tenner behind um, Amnesty International on Sunday. But if you're going to be a hypocrite, at least be a hypocrite that at least puts a little bit of a shoulder to a wheel that might turn something in a, a better direction. But I think you've been hopelessly optimistic there because your average football fan, and I understand if this had happened to us, we'd have exactly the same reaction, not us personally, but like, you know, as a collective within the fan base. Some people will be saying, I don't give a shit. We're now billionaires. And I just don't think it enters the consciousness. It's like, right, well, this is my football club. 
I mean, as my neighbour, my neighbour two doors down is a Newcastle fan. And I said to him, what, you know, what do you think about it? And he's like, well, you can't choose who owns your football club, can you? And I said, well, actually, you know what? That is, that is a fair point. But as you said, Moscow, I do agree with the, the sense that you can choose how you react to it. Yeah. I mean, the one that kind of stuck with me was the um, the United with Pride tweet, their response to it, which is the, uh, they describe themselves as the official Newcastle United LGBT plus inclusive supporters group. So they've got very close links to the club that there was some real what's the right word to describe it uh maneuvering to position themselves because they're dancing on on the head of a pin there they, you can't escape you know the persecution of of gay people and you know minorities and stuff like that in in saudi Arabia. it's just it's unavoidable isn't it so they're like square front and center with that issue and yet they're saying well because they've dealt with a woman that's a good thing isn't it they're coming round to it. They'll, yeah. they'll, they'll be fine with everything in, within a few weeks. As I long think. as they're not chucking the gays off our roof, then it's fine, isn't it? There is a there is that perception that what happens in the Middle East stays in the Middle East, and that just because the regime runs itself in a particular way in Saudi Arabia doesn't affect anything over here, so we can ignore it. But I don't think that's true, particularly not when it comes to LGBTQ rights, because if you think about the Premier League, where there are no openly gay footballers when statistically there should be. You know, if you were to, if English football is a reflection of English society, then expected gays would be would be quite high. <laughs> then you have XG. And the, the actual gays in football is absolute zero. And what um, marching out together at Leeds, one of their missions is to, to help support the conditions within football that, uh, that fans can feel comfortable as gay people going to games and that a footballer might feel comfortable enough to make the decision that actually I'm going to be open about my sexuality. Nobody needs to be forced into it because it's only as relevant as somebody wants to make it to be, but it is relevant that nobody yet has felt comfortable enough to do it. So that tells you that something's not quite right about about football as a whole. But where it won't happen now is Newcastle um, and probably not Manchester City previously or Paris Saint-Germain, given their ownerships, regimes, record on LGBTQ rights. Because if you think about the amount of shit that the first player who comes out is going to get and the amount of support that they will need, they will need that, first of all, from their football club from top to bottom. And I would hope that if it was to be the case at Leeds United, that a player at Leeds could phone up Andrea Rodrizzani and say, I'm going to make my sexuality public and I need support from everybody at the club to make sure that this doesn't go wrong. You can't really phone up Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. His Excellency. Say, His Excellency. Which he doesn't need to be called that, by the way. That's just something he's decided. Yeah. And, and say, then the Newcastle fans groveled straight to it because yeah. the, the Trust put out the statement. And, and Jamie was but thanked you, on it as well, which was nice. But you, you're not going to be phoning him up and say, listen, I know that in your country I would be jailed and or chemically castrated. If not, I know the death penalty is there as a statute, but you don't really use it. But it's okay if I, if I come out, especially when this is so much about prestige and bragging rights. Basically, the idea of owning Newcastle is to make them into something that they can boast about when Qatar are boasting about how Paris Saint-Germain yeah. haven't won anything, didn't win a fucking thing last season, and um, Abu Dhabi are boasting about Manchester City, who also can't win the goddamn Champions League. Everybody seems to assume that as soon as you have a, a rich Middle Eastern owner, Champions League will follow, but Paris Saint-Germain, they can't even win the French League, so it's not that good. But it's all about being able to put those players' images for the greater glory of Saudi Arabia. And if you imagine a, a player signs for Newcastle 
scores 30 goals a season, they do win the Champions League and he is the absolute emblem of everything that is great about Saudi Arabia. And he turns around and said, actually, lads, I'm gay. That's a huge problem then in terms of the reputation of Saudi Arabia on the, the world stage. So that's an impact that their ownership and the ownerships of Manchester City have in this country now because I don't think a, a gay footballer, I can't speak for them, but I don't imagine you're going to go, well, is Newcastle really going to be the place where I, I want to be playing football for when I know that the ownership presides over a regime where I'm actually illegal? I don't think that's going to go. So you're immediately just making a change in this country. The argument about keeping politics out of football, if that even is a, a political question, falls down as long as you allow sovereign nation states and their wealth funds to buy but they've promised they're not clubs. the premier league said they've promised they're not they're not, they're not prepared to show anybody what no. those promises took the form of but they promise and i believe them because they're a great bunch of lads yeah and just, if just your one... owner is a crown prince i think it's very difficult for you to say ah but we don't want any politics in football and to be fair that's not in the control of newcastle fans it should be um something the premier league needs to get a grip of who owns football clubs and for what reasons? And look at the, uh, you know, with this this situation is much better controlled in Germany with the fifty plus one rule, where you can at least keep ownerships within um, and power within the hands of the fans and minimise the impacts that um, people can have. And because football clubs are a special case, I know the Newcastle fans keep banging on about Twitter and Uber and, and Disney, but it's very easy to say that there is a, a different community and cultural circumstances regarding football clubs which is why they have owners and directors tests and they have rules about who can own the football club that are not identical to rules about who can invest in businesses it is different the rules are different the rules just aren't preventing this situation where bless the the newcastle fans who were um do actually have a a, a right head about this who all they want is mike ashley gone and what they landed with is all this shit that really is nothing to do with them that they don't want any part of. And yet you are asking Newcastle fans awkward questions. Well, you know, your neighbour two doors down is suddenly being, well, what do you think about yeah. what's going on in Saudi Arabia? They don't think anything. They just want better players. But it's it's trying to uh, explain to people that you can, that that's the moment to pause is at that point where it's like, well, actually, yeah, I think I'm a big fan of Newcastle United. I want us to have loads of, good players but what's happening in Saudi Arabia is terrible and I think it could change and it won't have a negative impact on their football club to say that because when some Newcastle fans say well anything that we say isn't going to have any impact on the regime in Saudi Arabia anyway okay so why do you start the the support with your excellency please give us a great football club because if they're not going to listen to you about human rights then they're not going to listen to you about how to run the football club and how they're going to run the football club is essentially a given. It's not like, you know, Terry from Gosford starts crying in the street like, oh, please buy us Nima. Oh, yeah, let's sign some good players. We weren't going to do that until these players, until these fans started begging us. You don't have to beg now if you're a Newcastle fan for them to give you a really good football club because the only reason they're there is to have a really good football club that makes them look good. They don't actually give a shit about whether you want a good football club or not. So you begging and asking for it and losing all your dignity and your humanity asking for it. Well, people at Moscow, what will happen is people will respond to this and say... Jealous. You're jealous. And I examined that question with myself when this all started pushing through and and I couldn't quite get to the bottom of what my feelings are. And am I jealous? And I realised I kind of landed on a position of, 
I'm not because I don't want to have to deal with that moral yeah, conundrum. Yeah. I think that's where I'm at with it as well. I don't feel anything about it. I'm just like, okay, well, because essentially this is another act in the pissing contest between the nation states of Qatar and Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia and you know all the TV rights concerning being it. It's, it's a pissing contest and it's irrelevant to me as a football fan who lives close to Leeds United. I just, I just want to concentrate on us, us be okay. I feel like we've had difficult decisions to make around whether to support or not support owners in the past with Bates and GFH were in here for such a brief period. They barely seem to register. But with Bates and Chilino, it was it almost felt like it was okay to still go and not boycott because it was shit. If you don't, if that makes sense. If we'd have had bad owners who were going to make us really good, it becomes a tougher moral choice, I think, almost, because we could still come in here and just slag Bates off week in, week out and do the same with Chilino and we could mock the ridiculousness of the situation. Whereas if you're really good, I don't know, it feels it feels like you lose you almost lose your moral high ground. We were doing it, we were supporting the team then in spite of terrible owners. If you're supporting terrible people who are actually, from a football point of view, excellent owners because they're investing a load of money and making you dead good, it does become more difficult. And I think where Newcastle fans seem to be slightly blinded by this is that they seem to think that they're being really picked on now. It's not about them. Which is isn't, it? and it's just it's not also, really about them. It's also and it reminded me a little bit of the way that when we had Chilino and Bates, you got a portion of Leeds fans who were kind of making out that we were being picked on. Like, oh David Conn's not writing about anything else. It's like, no, no, he is. You're just not reading it. If you've not read any of the stuff that's been out that put out there yeah, about Amnesty, Man City and- Amnesty International haven't done a bloody thing for years and then this happened. I know it's like they, they seem to all of a sudden think the whole world has turned on them because it's Newcastle it's like no this was this was there when it was Man City when it was PSG you just it, didn't listen to it and it wasn't it didn't affect you so you weren't bothered in much the same way as you know what goes on in Saudi Arabia doesn't affect you so you're not bothered and don't forget we have our own well we had links to Qatar through the Aspire Academy and it's been that all seems to have gone quiet we did have involvement with a grassroots company and then there was the Myanmar trip as well, which in retrospect looks, has looked even worse ever since because the reports that have come out of the, the region there about the genocide that was going on just got uh, mounted up and made it look like an even worse idea to go. But you touched on something there about supporting the owners. You don't have to, even if they're good. Like Andrea ratrizzani has been very good for Leeds. I don't consider myself a fan of Andrea Ratrizzani. I consider myself a fan of Leeds United and I recognise He's done very good things for Leeds United. I think the Myanmar trip was stupid, so that's fine. But but, but then you can flip the argument on, on its head, Moscow, and say they'll say exactly the same thing. Well, you don't have to support the owners. We're supporting our club. But they're dancing around in the streets dressed up like them mm. and going on Twitter defending them and, and doing all this whataboutery where it, all I would ask of them is say, just support your team. Don't turn yourself into a fan of Saudi Arabia mm. just because they've bought your football club. You can't control that. Mike Ashley could have sold to anybody and Mike Ashley has decided to sell to them. It's not the Newcastle fans who've decided, but the way that they've rolled over and allowed their tummies to be tickled, and it's what I was saying before about none of this is necessary because I don't think the new owners are going to give two shits about what the fans want from their football club because they have their plan, which is to make it into something that will rival Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain in terms of global prestige. And it doesn't matter what the fans say one way or the other. So what what does any Newcastle fan gain from going around Twitter saying, yeah, but you weren't talking about Saudi Arabia six months ago? Yeah, because you weren't fucking dancing around Newcastle about Saudi Arabia <laughs> six months ago. And that's what I'm trying to get you to stop doing. Football clubs are special cases here. That's the thing. If the Saudi money disappears one day, 
Newcastle United won't disappear because no. the fans will the fans will step up and they'll fair enough they might have started getting League One or whatever, but they will they will keep going. If all the Saudi money fell out of Uber and they own that entirely, the people aren't going to step in and save Uber for because they love it in the same way as they do yeah. they do a football club. It's it's a completely different thing, and if you can't see that it is different, then they don't care. Of course, they see it, but they don't care. And, that, and if you and if you're involved in currently trying to excuse it and excuse their the whole investment strategy around other businesses and Newcastle United and comparing the two, you are sort of doing your own little bit of sports watching for yeah. them. You are you're at the low at the lowest level possible. You're exactly what they want, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. You want they want people defending it and going, oh well, it's fine, isn't it? Really, or or at the very least distracting from from the main issues of it by going, oh, what about this? What about this? What about this? And football ownership is it is fucked. But like, there's, yeah. there's no doubt about. It. Look how look at how we've had it. We've had some abysmal owners but then at the other end of it we had an owner who was going to be barred for not paying VAT on a on a car and Lino com- has uh, spoken up this week he said you know <laughs> they asked me all these questions and then these guys they just let them in and, he's, and, he, <laughs> and he's got a point and he does have a point because yeah. not paying VAT on a, on a Range Rover it's not that bad yeah. really I didn't want him owning our club but it turned it, out it, to be a bigger barrier than um, than murdering a journalist exactly so but the other thing to then, and I know we don't need to go on about it too much, but the the last point I would make on it is the childishness of this whole assumption that billions equal success. And that's why I mentioned before. Well, I've got a final question from that. What happens when they're all billionaires? What happens when everybody in the Premier League is owned by a billionaire? Then you, what? You don't need money to be successful. You need to be competent. And you can see it. That's why I mentioned PSG didn't even win the French League last year. Their whole target was to win the Champions League. They've not done it. Manchester City, they've got the greatest coach. You can imagine. Look at that squad. Can't win the Champions League. Roman Abramovich lasts his tits off every year, basically because he got in first. So got such a lead in Chelsea. How can you start a season with Frank Lampard in charge and still win the Champions League? By getting rid of Frank Lampard <laughs> is, is the easy answer to but that. But the basic problem that people can't let go of this idea that money will instantly equal better players equal success competence is so important alongside it and the once you've bought the football club the money is needed to get rid of Mike Ashley that's why they needed 300 million quid the decisions that the new owners will make from now on don't need money they need intelligence it's we need a new sporting director so they're looking for the best sporting director in Europe that's you know that doesn't need a fucking billion dollars to make that decision and then you don't need a billion petrodollars to pay them because sporting directors don't command the kind of wages that footballers do. You could probably pay for the best sporting director in the world with the bar takings in the, the ground every year. It doesn't need the millions. And competent chief executive, and then you're getting the right manager. And these are decisions that are based on intelligence and competence that don't necessarily come with money. And we had this uh, discussion when there was the big discussion about whether Leeds should be taken over by Qatar Sports Investment or the 49ers. And we've thrown a lot in with the 49ers. And you also have a lot of Leeds fans say, well, Roderick Zani's potless 49ers never put any money in. Wish we had uh, QSI because um, what they've done at Paris Saint-Germain, that actually they've not won anything at PSG that PSG wouldn't have won without them. I don't think they've made a, a, a significant impact. They've got Air Jordan on the the shirts instead of a night logo so that's that's nice there's a material they're a lifestyle brand now. the material difference yeah. yeah but the success comes from 
having people in place who know. Well, Qatar doesn't have a, a strong track record in football. They're not a, a, a historic nation with loads of like football knowledge that we need to tap into that they're going to bring something. Same with Saudi Arabia. Whereas at least with the 49ers, what they've brought in to us is knowledge of running a sporting organisation. That's all those people have ever done. And it's where their experience lies. And the stadium project, they've, re- they've rebuilt a stadium. We're planning to rebuild Elland Road. So it actually makes more sense. Instead of you going with the richest people, you go with the people who have experience of building a stadium in, in recent years. So there's a there's a, a fitting together of intelligence and knowledge. But the counter-argument to that is that we, on the football side, are doing pretty well. We're overachieving because we've got one of the world's best coaches, but the, the infrastructure side is desperately in need. Whereas Newcastle, you could say the opposite. And well, the inf- So they, they're, they're going to concentrate on the football side. Well, their infrastructure is fucked up. You've seen their training ground. It's a joke. That's true. Yeah, they were in, so a, paddling, they were in a paddling pool, weren't they, instead of ice baths and stuff. Yeah, I think but that the, kind of stuff, I was just going to say, on the infrastructure stuff, you can get a loan for it anyway, as long as you've got a decent amount of cash. You can get a you can get financing for this sort of thing from anywhere, and you could even get it from a Saudi Arabian wealth fund through the back door. There are options available. What it comes down to is who's going to be in the building spending the money, and are they going to be any good or not? And I, I think we are just as well-placed with the knowledge that the 49ers can bring and uh, and apply than having Saudi Arabia coming in who the they, with, they the don't with, have the, the track record in football or sport. The thing with having billions of pounds, though, is it allows you to make loads of mistakes and it not matter. Like Newcastle could go out in January and spend £300 million on some absolutely shit players who well, won't there is, there is going to be a £20 million Newcastle tax on everything now, isn't there? And then they can do it again in the summer. If they don't work, they, they can just sell whoever they want. If they buy James Tarkowski for £40 million from Burnley and he's shit, they can just sell him for fifteen in the summer and go. Oh well, we've lost that money, but they do have. We've got lo- loads. We got loads more. It's all just piled up over it. They do have a lot of headroom on profit and sustainability, but that won't last forever if they spend that way. And although those like um, FFP is regarded as like a, a paper tiger, the rules keep changing, and the concentration is very much from UEFA and the Premier League on controlling spending and stopping what's happened at Barcelona and Real Madrid from becoming the norm. And, you know, if you look at Barcelona, their wage bill is set by the league. There are controls in place to stop clubs from doing that. And that's why this is brings us full circle to kind of the, the stupidity of kowtowing to whoever your football club owner is. Ultimately, the way that FFP works is it ensures that the money that is being spent on players comes from fans because it all has to come from revenue. You can only put in so much of the owner's money anyway to cover losses. The way that you make money is by building the infrastructure so you have a bigger stadium and you have bigger sponsorships and the money... You have your own places. You have your own sponsorship though in a lot of the cases. You have companies within your don't group. don't pretend that's not... Put, like Manchester City are dragging through the courts trying to avoid being done for the, the level of sponsorship they come in. You can't... There are rules in place and if they keep tightening them down um but they won't the point is that the but they the, are. T- but the tail's wagging the dog ultimately the tail will continue to wag the dog and they will always find ways to do it always they have, always and man city and chelsea and psg have yeah. not faced any none they've not faced any actual punishment have they yet no. because the they keep they've... fighting it in the courts they have been dragged through so it's not like there there hasn't been an intention and that's why the rules keep going in in that direction and there's they even then you have to make it plausible so it's you can't just do a billion pound sponsorship it has to be within the realms of sanity and and worth. Otherwise, you will be punished because it will be so goddamn obvious. But the, the point is, 
the bulk of the money in the end will come through ticket sales, TV subscriptions, and the ability to sell advertising to show to football supporters. So it all comes out of the fans' pockets in the end. So the billions that back the new Saudi owners of, of Newcastle are less relevant than the millions that will be coming out of the pockets of Newcastle fans to buy these players in the end anyway. I mean, God bless you. I, I admire your idealism, but I'm far more cynical about the way the world I works. I think Newcastle will, will probably go from being quite unsuccessful with mainly bad players to be quite successful with loads of good players. Yeah, And that'll be down entirely to the fact that they've got a lot of Saudi money has arrived. Yeah, and, but they have that because of the way that Mike Ashley's run them in recent years. He's not spent anything. They're a long way behind, aren't so they? So they have a long way. Well, because yeah. it means they've, they've got a lot of room under FFP. They have more space to to pay. But there are, I mean, why haven't Everton been spending any of their billionaire owners' money in the last few transfer windows? It's because they spunked it all on James Rodriguez and they can't go over the FFP limit. It is having an impact on football clubs. Now, why, why did Barcelona have to give Messi to Paris Saint-Germain? It's because the league would not let them mm. change their wage structure to keep him. So there are effects and impacts that are happening in and well, let's just if say this. Let's, going, let's say this. In, 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 in five before, years' time, in five years' time, let's see where we are. That's about yeah. what we're saying. And let's you asked the question unfolds. before about what will we do when every owner is a is a billionaire? Is it going to get to that point, or will there be? That's a when it becomes point? down to competence. Or will there be yeah. a tipping point where it won't be allowed to get to that point, and we will the balance will be redressed and will be walked back, and they'll start listening to Bielsa's point. will start going through, which says everybody in football has to start earning less. But the rampant, you know. Two World Cups um, in four years, a World Cup every two years that FIFA are trying to bring in. The resistance that's going up to that is part and parcel of the resistance to the European Super League. And there's less of an appetite at the moment, I think, of letting clubs just have their own way at all times. How far that can go, whether it can bring in rules, whether we can get some kind of uh, government leadership in this country that says 50 plus one rule that they were supposed to be exploring that to see if we can bring in a version of it in this country whether those things will ever come to anything it would jar against the general vibe of the way business is being treated in this country it must be said tell you what lads to to prevent outward investment lee carsley's earned that uh ken batesville of the week award hasn't he (laughs) christ right let's move on to the katana baradi hero of the week award then we'll we'll rattle through this quickly because we went long on that uh nominations we've got to give a nomination to thomas christiansen who uh beat the usa (laughs) for for panic Panama's coach. It's worth watching his uh, post-match press conference on YouTube um, to hear Thomas Christensen speaking Spanish, which he will. I mean, I think his mum is the Spanish one, isn't he? His he played Danish for Spain, father, didn't he? He, he? he played for Spain and is uh, played for Barcelona and grew up in, I think he moved to Spain when he was a teenager. Nine. Yeah. That's just a number I've plucked out there. Something like that. But obviously we heard him speaking English when he was manager of Leeds and it's quite refreshing. Um, and fun to hear him speaking. I assume it's Spanish. It sounded Spanish. Panamanian. Yes. Canales. But, uh, I've always yeah. been fascinated by the Panama Canal, by the way. I don't know why. A man. It's got a definite Wikipedia wormhole about yeah, it, yeah. the Panama Canal. You'll start reading about it then before you know it, you're on YouTube just watching. Chop, just chopped a continent in half. It was a good idea, wasn't it? It was a long way around. Yeah, it, it was. But he showed, uh, he showed Panama the old... He showed the USA who's boss because they uh, they rotated their team to keep all some of their good players back, and uh, Thomas went and beat them. Uh, Luke Hayling did some good stuff as well. Um, Charlie Mawson, who was uh, 
was out at the weekend. There was a there was a proposal and a, and a wedding and an anniversary and some children involved and there was all happiness and joy and a meal and champagne and Luke Ayling sent over um, a bottle, didn't he, and paid their bill, which is awesome. So the moral of the story is if you're ever in somewhere and you see Luke Ayling, kick Propo- up a bit propose. of a fuss, say hello to him, well, it's like the, and then kind of go, well, do you not do, table, do, table, uh, table 12, remember Luke, on your way out. Do you not, you're, you're a man who's a bit of a spendthrift, Michael. Do you not ever do the, 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 the birthday or anniversary trick? Like if you ever, I mean, I know you won't go out for food because you won't pay other people to do it. You'll just get an Aldi special, aren't you? But um, if you're ever going out or you're staying in a hotel, you always just give them a little email and say, listen, it's uh, Sansa's birthday. Just wonder if there's anything special you can do. So you get the little upgrade. There's very little that can do at a travel lodge, I've found. There's very, <laughs> you get an extra, you get two pillows. Something out, of the, something out of the vending machine, maybe. <laughs> Wow. Your wife, she's one lucky woman. <laughs> certainly is. Uh, so nice work, Luke but that is nice. I mean, it's nice, yeah, that, it's nice that he's doing these things, isn't it? Giving back to the people, isn't it? Um, ben White gets a nomination as well because he was asked by, it was by Arsenal as well, wasn't it? Which is wonderful. Uh, what's, his, what's your favourite stadium? So he's there at the old uh, Emirates Megadome or whatever. And it's Leeds United, isn't it? <laughs> when it's full. <laughs> I'd say probably a full Leeds stadium, which he doesn't seem to know the name of the stadium, which is a bit of a shame. But Leeds, the Leeds Stadium, um, obviously I played there two years ago. That was probably my first experience of a full stadium in a lively crowd and, and, and last, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Is this, uh, I know I don't want to drag us back to the um, Newcastle takeover discussion, but from what we've heard from uh, Arsenal fans previously, is that the biggest war crime in football, what Ben White has said there? Well, I'm sure. Is be, he a terrorist, I'm this sure, guy? I'm sure there'll be plenty of uh, discussion about it. We do on. need to check the old uh, Arsenal fans TV to see how the, the Ben White traitor Talk is going down. Crescencio Somerville scored that amazing goal for the 23s against Sunderland. They had quite a, a threadbare squad out because of all the internationals, didn't they? But uh, just sort of picked it up and did it all himself. Some genuine children in that game. There were some 16-year-olds playing, weren't mm. they? Which mm. is quite impressive. Archibald Gray came on again. Old uh, wacko Mark Jacko wasn't happy about was losing that one. We lost 2-1 in the Premier League Cup in the end. I thought we were all right, actually. I thought we'd, we'd be knocked out, but we're not, are we? No, it's a big old group stage. So we we play Mansfield next. In the Premier League Cup. Yeah. And then we have the return fixtures with Sunderland and, <laughs> and the other team that we've played in the Cup, who I can't remember. But yeah, it's a um like a it's a four team group, so All six right. games home and away. Old uh, old old Stuart McKinstry uh was good in the second half of this as well. Very different winger to Somerville that he's not taken on the whole team, but was um Get the ball on the right wing, do a step over and cross it. And his corners were great. It's just a shame, yeah, the finishing was off. Max Dean was uh, also quite entertaining. He's a very angry young man. Uh, Rafinha's getting the hero of the week, isn't he? Because he's the best player in the world now. He is. He's football's uh, brightest hope. If you want to um, go to the blog and find out, we mentioned Rob Conlon's article about him in the um, earlier on. I wrote about him after the... Uh, Columbia game and tied it to Diego Simeone was talking to Vincent Del Bosque in El Pai newspaper in Spain and lamenting the loss of the art of dribbling and said who who dribbles anymore nobody dribbles who has that talent who has the individual ability and it reminded me of Bielsa saying pretty much the same thing after Maradona died he says you know if M- if Mbappe is the best player in the world he doesn't have any of the, those joyful skills that we saw with uh, Maradona or Messi and them um, you know, much as I'm, you know, wondering if the weather's ever going to change about football ownership. I was wondering if uh, coaches are going to start to be less about rigid, because that was um, what Simeone was saying. He said, oh, we're all about tactics, we're all about, oh, I have my numerical superiority and whatever. But he said, Bielsa always used to say, 
that's what makes Bielsa happier than anything, even after he's trained everybody in what um, uh, Scotty Parker said were his uh, scripted movements, which he, he does to an extent, is that when a player goes on the pitch and does something that he's decided for himself, and whether we're going to start seeing a little bit more of that kind of stuff, in which case, Rafinha, £200 million, please, Newcastle. And, <laughs> and that's, that's, that's just to start talking about him. And uh, Liam Cooper now to start dribbling out from the back and taking people on. Well, we've got your rente, haven't we? So yeah, that's true. You can teach Cooper how to do it. But it's been an amazing week for him, and he does bring us joy. I know there's that f- lingering fear about when he will leave, but and yeah. also that Uruguay are going to snap him on Friday night. But yeah, there is that, if, yeah. He, if he tries some of that stuff before he gets the slow boat back to Southampton. Anyway, uh, so Rafinha is our hero of the week. Congratulations. That uh, that wraps it up for this one. Then we will return with another weekly show next week. Then will we? If his legs that badly shattered, you'd need to put him on a, a stable surface. You might not. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Be able to fly. <laughs> the boat might be the answer. Mm. Yeah, we've got the, uh, the match ball, which is coming up straight after Southampton and propaganda and all that. And we will catch you next time. The Square Ball Podcast.